The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now in a new three-part series, we're going to delve into the world of the Mafia, its history and the inner workings of the five main Mafia families. You know, gambling, drug trafficking, loan sharking, protection rackets, infiltration of trade unions, just some of the ways that the mob made its mark. Now, this morning, we're going to get an insight into how the Mafia came about and how those five Mafia families became so dominant. In the first instalment, I speak to Alex Hortis, author of The Mob and the City, a constitutional lawyer and crime historian. This is The Mafia, Then and Now. In the world of organized crime, the tradition is that murders do not go unavenged. Still, traditions have a way of changing, even in the Mafia. Patrick Presenzano shot four times, his throat cut. Presenzano was allegedly connected to reputed mob boss Carmine Galenti. Police were called to the scene by a tow truck operator who found two bodies slumped in the backseat of a late model car. The ability of the mob to kill people in cold blood and get away with it gives them the ability to terrorize other people. Law enforcement officials say there is now a power vacuum at the top of La Cosa Nostra, with all of its old leaders either in jail or in graves. When was it first recorded that Italian families, and maybe particularly Sicilian families, were involved in crime in the United States? The first major incident were 1890s in New Orleans, where uh, there was actually mass lynchings of Italians because they were suspected of being mafiosi. Uh, and there was a lot of hysteria around them at the time. And they continued to be rumors of mafiosi in the, in the United States for some time after that. So the idea of a, a mafia being imported from Sicily suggests an awareness of what had been going on in Sicily anyway. Yes, there um, was certainly um, knowledge of the mafia in Sicily, which was quite strong going back to the mid-1800s. And there were stories and rumors that it went back even further than that. But people were aware of them. They weren't quite sure the nature, extent, how large the families really were. And in the U.S., it took a while for sort of formal recognition of them. Now, how did the mafia, as we came to know it, uh, come about? Was it one family or more? Were they all from the same part of uh, Italy or Sicily? Or how did it evolve? So the mafia, as we know it in its modern form, there were five major families. And they came out of Prohibition. Before that, there was the Morello family, uh, the first family, so to speak, and they, but they all went away uh, in the early 1900s for a counterfeiting scheme, actually, with coins, if you can believe that. Um, but then the five families came into being in the early 1930s, and they were really sort of consolidations of clan networks, you know, roughly, very roughly around different regions in Sicily and in Calabria. And they uh, organized themselves essentially into gangs. And they called themselves families in large part because many of them actually were related. So those uh, families, the the Gambino family, the Genovese family, the Banana family, Lucese family, Colombo families, 
Did they all know each other before any of them came to the United States? Some of them did. Some of them, I want to emphasize, though, were homegrown, so to speak. In other words, they had no connection to the to um, uh, the Sicilian families, um, and they only um, became gangsters in the United States. Joe Valachi is the most famous example for that. But some of them, yeah, they did know each other going back to the old world. But I think that most of them, um, it was it, it was very much of American phenomenon by the nineteen. 1920s and 30s. In other words, the U.S. to a large degree created them. Like uh, Lucky Luciano, Salvatore Camilla, you know, he had no real connection to any of the clans back in Sicily. But when he got here, he got involved in crime, actually, with Jewish gangsters at first. And then he formed his own family, Luciano family. Now, we associate the Mafia with New York, but also with Chicago and Al Capone, I, I suppose. How widespread was Mafia activity? So Mafia activity in the mid-20th uh, century was quite widespread. There were 24 cities in which it were identified to have at least one family. New York was the only place that had five families. Chicago was the outfit. And they had, you know, loose networks. They you know, they mostly stayed within their city or regions. They occasionally would cooperate across cities, particularly when they had national unions, things like that with the Teamsters. Now, did they fight with each other or did they have some sort of agreement through their, what they call their commission as to who got which territory? So who got which territories, I think, evolved somewhat um, naturally, somewhat organically, in that it was really based on, you know, where the particular gangster lived, what their influence was. They had a lot of overlapping territory. There was the Mafia Commission. Sometimes I think it, it gets over-exaggerated for what it actually did. It basically resolved large-scale issues and was almost like a, an arbitral board. Um, and they would work out some problems. But, you know, this was all underworld. And so ultimately, the authority is violence. So they certainly fought amongst themselves and particularly within families. There were all kinds of schemes and attacks on each other that would pop up from now and then. And occasionally, you know, an all out battle that went on for some time. And so, while you know, the commission was there. It wasn't like sort of an all powerful, omnipotent, mm. you know, a controlling board of the mob, as sometimes it's called. Now, the, the question of what they did, I mean, nowadays you might associate mafia gangs, be they Chechen mafia, Albanian mafia, whatever they might be, with possibly the movement and sale of drugs. Um, back in the day, I suppose prohibition started it all, that ended. So how were they making their money? So they were making their money in a variety of of income streams. I will say, I think that the mafia were, were the original drug lords, though. When you um, talk about, you know, the Medellin cartel or Cali cartel in the 1980s for cocaine, that's what the mafia was in the for most of the 20th century with heroin. They had particularly good connections to the Corsicans, the so-called French connection, and they were importing, in all likelihood, the majority 
of heroin that was entering the United States for much of the 20th century. Lucky Luciano was a drug dealer. People often forget about that. But contrary to the Godfather, they were deep into the narcotics trade. They also had sort of low-level schemes involving loan sharking, um, gambling. They had uh, the lottery at the time, the illegal numbers lottery. I think their, a lot of their power base came, though, through the labor movement. They were sort of leeches onto the American labor movement, which was very strong in the 1900s. And so any, anywhere where there were a lot of concentrated industry that required quick movement of goods, so teamsters, the longshoremen, garment workers, the mafia got its cut from there and infiltrated a lot of the, the unions that controlled it. Also, construction was a very big industry that they had uh, their tentacles into. And also, uh, waste hauling, one of the first things that I researched, the mafia controlled the waste hauling industry in New York and many other major cities. What they would do is they would jack up prices through quasi-monopoly control, and then they would charge you way more, charge businesses way more for to haul away their garbage um, than would have been, you know, the market would yeah. itself would have borne. And obviously there were uh, low-level protection rackets, you know, 100 bucks a week from a retailer uh, just to protect him from the bad guys. And of course, they themselves were the bad guys who were going to do the business in if people didn't cooperate. But, you know, in the battle between the feds and the mafia and local law enforcement as well in the various cities, who won? So that's an interesting question. Like, who won in the battle between local and state and federal enforcement? I would say, like, I didn't see a lot of successes on the local front. And and there are theories about why that is. But one of it is it's just much easier to kind of manipulate or control local prosecutors. They're in their community. They're, you know, they depend on political power in the United States. Our prosecutors are mostly elected. And so I didn't see a lot of um, power there. They, you know, Thomas Dewey, who later ran and lost for president, did have success in New York City. But he was also, people forget, that he was also appointed as a state prosecutor. It really wasn't until the feds, uh, the federal system got involved that they had major successes. And the first one was actually the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. It was the forerunner to the DEA. And the Bureau of Narcotics um, was had much better understanding of the mafia long before the other federal agencies, because I think it was tracing their international drug networks so you could see a coordination that the other agencies didn't necessarily, yeah. weren't necessarily able to. Now, famous, and the other yeah. great example of this is in 1957 with Appalachian, it was the state police in upstate New York that broke up the 1957 meeting of about 70, 80 odd gangsters um, in Appalachian, which kind of exposed the mafia once and for all for, in the United States, that it certainly existed, that it was coordinated, it had network. Um, famously, Al Capone was done on uh, tax charges, uh, so uh, that put him uh, out of business. But I'm wondering to what extent the mafia today, the, the traditional mafia, the Italian mafia, 
is out of um, the business of criminality and is just doing the gambling stuff, the real estate development, is making its money, the seeds of which were in criminality, but which is now all legit in Vegas and places like that? Um, that's hard to answer. Um, I, w- I do want to make a quick note on Al Capone. I think that the Capone prosecution, glad you brought that up, the Capone prosecution had a significant long-term effect as well, because Capone actually, he wasn't really identified as mafioso, but he was certainly identified as a gangster. But what he showed them then is that they couldn't keep assets um, without a legal front because they remember they got him on tax evasion. And so as a result, these gangsters couldn't build up to the most, you know, large, um, you know, cash reserves, so to speak. So it really affected how they work. There was a lot of money laundering, a lot of hidden interests in what they were, you know, what they were doing. But you raise the question about, you know, gangsters that are now legitimate. I'm not sure that that, that actually is how it works. I think that there are a few examples of mafiosu who had legitimate interests. Frank Costello is a good one, who actually took an Irish name at the time, even though he was Italian, because he thought that it would help him better. But Frank Costello was one, you know, Paul Castellano, who, of course, was assassinated by John Gotti, had legitimate interests. But I think for the most part, these are not really businessmen. They work on violence, fear and extortion. And if you can't use those tools, you're out of luck. And so I don't think there are a lot of examples of, quote, legitimate mafiosa today in the United States that got their start in crime, but that are now straight, so to speak, sort of like the Godfather idea, right? Michael Corleone goes straight and he's going to make 100% legitimate. Um, I don't think there's a lot of them. First of all, a lot of them went away in the 1980s and were prosecuted um, and had their assets seized. Well, Rico. Um, na- nature abhors a vacuum, and if the Italian mafia are not uh, preeminent now in New York City and elsewhere, uh, there are other mafias that have taken their place. Yes, certainly drug trade. There is many more um, organizations now from you know Latin America, Russia, many more that control the drug trade than did back in their day. Um, you know, the industries that they dominated also disappeared. And so in some cases, there is no sort of mafia involved anymore. So like the garment industry in the U.S. basically went away. The longshoremen, the, the water shipping, it, at least in New York City, became, you know, became containerized. So it, it really didn't have any gangster influence anymore. And so I think that an underrated way that they end it is simply that the industries that they dominated went away. Alex Hortis, author of The Mob and the City, a constitutional lawyer and crime historian. Alex, thank you very much for joining us on the program. Thank you. It was a pleasure. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.